Hello, my name is Kiana W. Mitchell, and I am a singer, songwriter, podcaster, and relationship coach. I am also a Christian who for years grew up in a religion that taught me to fear God instead of have a relationship with God. It wasn't until I lost my religion and developed a relationship with God that I was able to understand how much God really loved me. Each one of us have a story to tell about how we found God. Each one of us has taken a different path and a different journey to find God. So join me as we go on a journey through interviews and music to discover how people find God. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Finding God Podcast. I am your host, Kiana W. Mitchell. This week on the podcast, we have two amazing guests, and they are Rosemary and Venetia, and they are from the group Shekinah and Glory. Not only do Rosemary and Venetia sing together, but they are also best friends who have an amazing story to share about how they met and how they found God, and how their friendship has helped them strengthen their relationship with God. So without further ado, here's the interview that I did with Rosemary and Venetia. Hello, Rosemary. Hello, Venetia. How are you guys doing uh-huh. today? I'm hey, doing good. Doing good. Thank you so much for being on Finding God. I'm super excited to have you guys here. And I know you guys are doing amazing things. But before you tell us all the wonderful things that you guys are doing, I want to ask you a question. So here's the question. Okay. What was your childhood like? Okay. Uh, I guess I'll go first. Okay. Well, my childhood, I wasn't raised in church. Um so, I mean, literally, I mean, I think from the time I was born up until the time of maybe 12 or 13, um, no, I, I didn't go to church. Um, I ended up meeting uh, pastors that did belong to a church and they took me under their wing. I was about, at that time, I think I was 11. And that's when I began to go to church and get experience in church services, the singing and the, pre- the preaching and all that good stuff. But initially I wasn't raised in church. Okay. What about you, Rosemary? Um, I was I was raised in church <laughs> every Sunday. Um, uh, we were in church. My mom took me, and um, I guess my experience, it, though I went to church, you know, every so to say Sunday, you know, I um, I, I remember not liking it. <laughs> I just remember. I was that kid that was like always falling asleep in church, you know, while the preacher was preaching or, um, and then when I got a little bit older, I think about 12, you know, 13, then I started coming up with all of these excuses not to go, you know, every Sunday, you know, I'm telling my mom, oh, I got a headache, you know, oh, I don't feel good. And so I just started really pulling away uh, from what I saw, you know, or understood church to be. And then, um, during my, like I say, it was about 12, 13. So then, you know, once I became a teenager, um, I wasn't in church at all. My mom wasn't making me go at that time. And then I just kind of uh, gravitated to the, to the streets, you know. Um, I was a creative since I couldn't remember, like just loving to draw. That was my first um, gift that kind of manifested. 
But I think that as a creative, uh, you get bored very easily and just being a child, you know? And so um, I was raised in a traditional Kojic church, Church of God in Christ. And um, if anyone is familiar with that, uh, you know, religion, it's, you know, they're just very like, you know, cut and dry. It's like, and the mothers will give you that eye, you know, like, you know, you better sit your butt down. And um, and it just didn't feel like a place, you know, of fun, you know, because I was a kid, you know. Yeah. And so, um, and very strict rules, I remember, you know, it was women couldn't wear, you know, pants. So every Sunday, you know, my mom would maybe put on this, this skirt and this this dress that was hideous to me. <laughs> so I was like, oh my goodness, I got to do this every Sunday, you know. And so, um, but it was just different things that catered to my mindset becoming, I don't like church, you know, me feeling like I just don't want to be here. Um, I, you know, and then I also had, a, it also developed a strong fear of God in the sense, not a respectful fear, but a fear of, oh, if I'm bad, I'm going to hell. Just, it's just black or white. Like it, that, I didn't understand the fullness of what the gospel meant. It more put a you know, fire and brimstone fear in me. And so, um, and if you kind of know what that does, that that really kind of drives you away from God uh, more than to him. Um, because he said, love have I drawn thee. And, you know, and so that type of gospel being preached to me, it more pushed me away. And though I had this lingering fear, like, ooh, I don't want to die and go to hell, you know, because that's what I was really being pounded into me. Um, but it drove me away from God. And, and so by my teenage, you know, years going at my early teenage, 13, 14, 15, oh, there's no way my mom was making me go to church. And I didn't have any respect really for church either. At no, all. I, I get that because I grew up in an Adventist church and it was kind of the same way. It's like, we had to go to church on Saturday. We had to do this, had to do that. Same strict rules. My mom wouldn't even let me wear pants. And I remember well, it's a good thing I kind of went to church school because I probably would have been bullied. You know, I'm up there in PE with culottes on. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. And so I totally understand where you're coming from because it sounds like it was similar. Like we had to sit down, we had to be still. And it was even at a point when my kids got older, I would let them bring tablets to church. And I was like, you know what? As long as you're quiet and you have something to do, you can play Bible games, whatever it is, you know, just... <laughs> still because I recognized by that time that you can't just take a kid and make them sit down for all those hours not give them a snack not give them anything to drink and be like be quiet <laughs> like that doesn't work and then spanking them for not being still it's just like come on you set yourself up for this because you knew your kid yeah. cannot do this so no right. I totally get where you're coming from I totally understand because I had a similar experience at the job as well so <laughs> and it had the same reaction to be honest like I was afraid of God I didn't like him. Mm. I felt like he was always out to get me. And I remember I used to tell people not to pray for me because my mom would always say, well, if you don't come to God, then he's going to let something bad happen to you. And then you'll have to come to him. And this, I was telling me this story about this kid who was not, who was rebellious, whatever, who got hit by a car and was paralyzed and then became a Christian. I was like, well, if this is what it takes to be a Christian, then I kind of don't want to do that. And I don't want people to pray for me to be saved is this is what it's going to take. Like, I'm going to walk. Um, you know, this is not what it was for me. So I used to even tell people, don't pray mm-hmm. for me. Don't even want to hear it. <laughs> you know, I was like, I would pray for myself because I know how to pray for me. Like, if you're going to pray that, I don't want it. So I totally get where you're coming from and why at 
when you became a teenager, why you would feel that way, because I also felt the same way. So, Benicia, what was your adolescence like for you? Well, I will say this. I am totally different from you. I'm just listening to you guys like, wow. But I was the type because I was always surrounded with the house parties and the drinking and the smoking and the fighting. I was trying to get away from it. So every time my godparents came and got me to go to church, I was always excited about it because it was something that it was new for me. It was something that I would go home and I would have stories to tell my family that they never told me or, you know, things like, oh, I, had, I learned something new in church, you know, that type of thing. So it, it was uh, mine was a little different. Um, I think by the age of 13, though, I, you know, we all get to that place, adolescent years, I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. I was so caught up into boys. So I had a little boyfriend that I didn't want to go to church no more. So, and it was easy for me not to go because I didn't have anyone tugging and pulling me and telling me that I had to go, you know? So I went through um, years of uh, doing what I wanted to do, had a lot of issues that came up. Um, So I I felt like I, I had that freedom. Though it really wasn't freedom, but in my head, it was freedom. Yeah, I think adolescence is just like that for everybody, because you're at a point where you no longer need so much attention. Your parents kind of let you do more of your own thing and make more decisions and choices. And it's freeing and it's awesome. You get to find out things about yourself. But then also, of course, like everything else, we make mistakes and we do things. So Rosemary, you mentioned when you were an adolescent and when you were a teenager, how things changed for you, how you no longer went to church. and how you were doing things differently. It's like, what happened during that time? I, I gave my life to crisis at the age of 19. And I mean, like truly surrendered, gave my life to Christ um, by the age of 19. I had pretty much, I want from my point of view, I had lived a long life up until that point. I had my first child at 14, my second uh, child at 16. Um, and my teenage years were really rough. Like when I said, I stopped going to church and then I just kind of uh, started hanging out, drinking, smoking, um, heavily drinking. Um, and it was really rough. And I stayed in the streets. I even uh, moved out of my mom's house several times, lived with a couple of different guys. So by the age of 19, um, I had really reached, a, I had reached a point of suicide. And so um, because while I was doing all these different things, um, I was immensely unhappy, depressed, and tired. And so I got to this place where the, I remember the day uh, I was going to take all these pills. I was going to, you know, uh, kill myself. And I said, I'm just going to write this letter to my mom, tell her I'm sorry. I just can't do this anymore. Would you raise my boys? You know, I just had all this, you know, planned out in my head. And I just remember hearing a voice say, but you haven't tried me. And, and I had never claimed to have heard the voice of God, but I knew that was God talking to me because the first, when I heard it, the first thing came back to me was just God and all of what I had been taught because regard, even despite, you know, the, you know, you know, if you don't live right, you're going to hell. I still knew some, a lot of the word because I had sat in church my whole, you know, and so it was like, God was saying, you haven't tried me. You're going to kill yourself and you haven't even given me a chance. And so. Uh, there was a lady that I knew, and by this time, I'm originally from Chicago, and at this time, at this point in my story, I was here in Alabama, uh, kind of starting all over again, but I was still doing my own thing, and so the only person I knew in Alabama was a church lady, 
And I reached out to her and she just needed to do a Bible study that evening. And I gave my life to Christ in attempt to give him this chance. And I remember saying, if this doesn't work, God, I'm going to take my, and I was, I mean, I was all serious, you know, I just was like, I'm taking myself out of here if this doesn't work. And of course, you know, God, I think it, that was my way of surrendering. You know, it might have might have sound cocky to some. It might sound like, oh, how you, you know, how, how dare you talk to God like that? But I think that God answers us in our realness. Yeah. And I wasn't trying to be disrespectful, but I was tired. And I said, God, if you, you know, hey, I'm like, what you got? You know, huh, I'm here. And he and he did come in. He came in mightily. And I haven't been the same since. That is awesome. And I do agree. Like, even if you read like Job and Elisha and all those people in the Bible who hit their rock bottom, they talk to God for real. Like Job was like, I wish I was never born. Why are you letting this happen to me? And I think that's the great thing about God. So I like the fact that you mentioned that you just talked to him. Like he was somebody that was there. Like he was a real person. I think is that authentic talk and conversation with God that actually helps you have a relationship with God. So that's amazing. Right before I see, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. So before I moved here to Alabama, you know, I was what, you know, the church folks would say I was shacking up. I was living with my boyfriend and I started having some health issues. And one day I went to the doctor. Now at this point, I'm, I'm not in church. You know, I still talked to God a little bit because again, I still had those seeds because I had godparents that took me to church when I was younger. So there was still some word in me. And so I ended up going to the doctor. Um, the doctor told me um, what I had was uncurable and that it was just something I was just gonna have to deal with. And I was like devastated. And I remember going home and I fell down on my knees and I began to talk to God and just beg God to help me and to heal me. Um, I would say, now, mind you, I'm still living with this guy or whatever. Um, I would say over a, a, a period of a few weeks, what was going on with me began to diminish until it was no more at all. And I remember knowing that it was God that healed me. It was God that healed me. And some of the things that they said would happen, it put it like this. What God did, the only way it would have been undone is if it was done surgically and no doctors touched me. God literally took it away in the midst of my mess. And that reminds me of, you know, in the Bible where it talks about Naaman. Naaman had other gods, but God still healed Naaman and God loved Naaman and God did things for Naaman, even if he did not deserve it. And that was God's grace and his mercy. And that's what I, that's what I experienced. Shortly after that, there was something else that happened between me and the guy that was, I was living with, and I moved here. When I moved here, it really was not a move. It was more of a visit to get away. But I remember even then in that season of my life, living with that guy, I, there was times I would defend God. You know, I was in my mess, but I would defend God. I knew God healed me, but I was still struggling, you know. So when I moved here, I had one agenda, but God ended up saving me here. And that's when I got closer to God. But in the midst of my mess, God, I experienced a miracle from God. That is awesome. And I like that because so many times people think that if you're not doing the right thing, you know, God is punishing you and all these things are happening to you. And I've always said, God does not punish us. I'm like, I think sometimes right. we have to deal with consequences of our actions. Absolutely. But even through that, God brings us out of things and he helps us. Yes, he does. So I like that you said that because it shows and it proves that 
when people think God is punishing them because they're going through something, that's not it. That's not exactly right. what happened because God loves you right. and he's going to be with you, whatever. But that is Absolutely. awesome. So while you were here, what took you to church? Like what got you there? Well, when I moved here, it was on, uh, I was doing secular music. I was doing a lot of background stuff for people that was around here. My cousin actually um, moved me here and I ended up getting a job at uh, a nursing home. And that's where I met Rosemary. When I met Rosemary, she invited me to our church. And, uh, and from then, that the first time I went to the church, I experienced something I had never felt before. I felt a love that was indescribable, that it was like pulling me to the front of the church. And I lit, I went to the altar, and that same night, I gave my life to Christ. That answers two questions in one, because then I was going to ask, how did you guys meet? <laughs> and I love that. So you guys met because you were working together, and then uh-huh. she invited you to church, and then you went to church, and that's where you found God all over again. Absolutely. In more of a real way, in more of a real, a real way, because kind of like you guys, um, the church that I was a part of, it to me, it was a lot of untruth. Yeah. Um, um, it did not really display the mercy and the grace of God. It was to me, honestly, it was more about works. Yeah. And, you know, we're not saved by our works, exactly. you know. So when I moved here and I was invited to redeem the love, that's where I felt and, and, and learned the trueness, the, the truth of God in his word. So when did you guys start standing together? Because I know you guys have a group. So how did that come about? So, yeah, just like Benicia said, you know, we met uh, we met uh, at a nursing home as far as where we work. And um, when, when I saw Benicia give her life to Christ, you know, the first thing I thought was, I just wanted her to be safe, I guess, as far as her salvation. And I knew where she lived, I guess, from my perception. And, and Benicia, maybe my memory might not <laughs> be all the way clear. But I just remember feeling like she's in, she's, I think she had a roommate. They, they make look like they partied, a lot of drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and when I saw her give her life to Christ, my concern was I wanted her to be in the right environment to grow. And so... Uh, I invited her to, to become my roommate and move in, and, and she did. And uh, I didn't even really know that, oh, I wasn't really, uh, it didn't stand out to me that she did music until she moved in with me. And I would be like, you know, piddling around in her room and, and her uh, music, you know, she would have instrumentals. And so I would always play around with the idea of rapping. I always loved the idea of rapping. Miss Elliott was like, the queen to me you know I just really um, loved her and looked up to her and so um, as I was playing around with one of Benicia's uh, instrumentals I wrote I'll I'll call it what was considered a verse Uh, just playing around with it and it's kind of in my head let me tell my testimony in this verse and it kind of evolved from there Uh, my bishop our bishop at the time Bishop Paul White he heard it and he said you're doing that tomorrow in church. And I was like, whoa, like I had, I, I had no, I had never held a microphone. Okay. <laughs> so, so this was so beyond me. But when he invited me to that stage, that was the uh, turning point of my life because it was like God putting the mic in my hand and saying, I've called you to do this. And the group, you know, just, it just evolved together. You know, like we became a group and we lived together. So then we just started like writing songs and I think Benicia, we were at a revival and we got the name for our group, uh, Chicago yes. and Glory. 
And so it just evolved from that point of us becoming roommates and both of us. At the time, I had only um, walked in my salvation for maybe four months. So I was still a babe myself. Yeah, I was still, you know, seeking God. We both had that fresh fire. So we were seeking God and praying every day together and writing music. So it was just a blessing in that season. I'm blown away because most people tell me, you know, why I knew ever since I was a kid, I was doing this for a long time. But to hear you say you just were listening to some of her music and you decided to write a verse. And then they asked you for the first time. That's the first time you ever picked up a microphone. Were you nervous? Were you scared? Like, that is amazing. Oh, yeah. I was, was shaking in a boot. My mind, I was so scared. Like I was petrified because yeah. I was very shy. Believe, I mean, I really was, and I, I still wrestle with that shyness. But my default, and I'm saying shy, like getting on stage and you know, rapping to people. Uh, I always played around with the idea only because I, like I said, I was a big fan of Missy Elliott. I'm from the shy, so you know, being that female that you know, can rap, that was just like, I had a lot, I loved it, and so, but I never really uh, saw myself actually being able to walk in it, and so, and that's kind of where God really, uh, for me, used Venetia to kind of, in one, I guess one way to say, hold my hand through that process, because I'm not naturally, in my opinion, a a natural, like, entertainer, you know, Um, but when I saw God gave me that gift, and I saw the way people reacted to me, because me rapping it was like an out-of-body experience because I've got people running to me like oh my goodness your voice your voice and and so it stood out to me that God gave me this gift and I just dedicated it to God and and I would only write for him and only rap for him you know Venetia now we know all this came about because you sing and you do music and everything so tell me how did that start? When did you realize that you could sing? When did you realize you wanted to sing, could write music? Like, when did that happen for you? Oh, I was a little, little girl. I was five years old. I literally, I used to listen to um, artists on the radio or watch uh, award shows. And I started off with mimicking other singers. So my goal would be, I would try to sound like Whitney Houston or sound like this person or sound like that person. So at the age of 17 is when I went to the studio for the first time and recorded something. I didn't write it. Someone else wrote it. But that's when I learned that, you know, this is what I want to do. I like this, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was the one in the family. Everybody came to me for the music because I was always listening to different artists, trying to learn different uh, things. And then I began to sit down and write. And, you know, when I moved here, so that was one of the reasons I was moved here to help co-write on some things. Um, Short story, before I right before I gave my life to Christ, I was in the studio and there was an artist that needed some, um, needed a co-writer and some uh, background stuff. So we sat down and I kind of like wrote, co-wrote maybe four songs with him. He ended up landing a deal with Universal Records and the songs that the label picked were the four songs that I co-wrote on. And just so happened right when that happened, because mind you, I'm in the world, secular, right when that happened, um, I was roommates with Rosemary. I was working at La Quinta Inn. I don't think it's on 72 anymore, but it was on 72. And I used to yeah. walk to work all the time. So um, the manager of this guy found me there. And he said, look, I've been looking for you all over the place. The label picked this guy up. They chose the songs you co-wrote on. I need your information. And in that moment, when I tell you, I was so seeking God, nothing else mattered. I looked at him. I told him, I said, don't put my name on it. Tell him he can have all of it. He can have all of it. Because at this point, 
this is when God had revealed to me what I was supposed to be doing with my boys. And that's when we were doing the Shekinah and Glory thing. We were real, it's just really right. Nobody knew us or anything like that. All I was going off of was a promise. And God said in his word that whatever you give up for me in my namesake, I'll pay it back to you a hundredfold in the land of the living. I was so sold on wanting to do it for God. That opportunity presented itself. And I said, don't put my name on it. So, um, yeah, so that's pretty much what happened. I, I was the one, uh, when I first mo- moved here, they called me the queen of hook. You wanted a catchy hook? Ask me. I would, I would write a hook that would not leave your mind. So they know they knew me as, they called me the queen of hook. So um, when I finally began to write for God, I remember sitting there um, trying to write in myself, arrogant, because I didn't got this head like, oh yeah, I'm dope, you know, whatever. And I could not write anything. I mean, and it was probably for days. And God had showed me, he said, look, what I'm going to do with you, it's not going to be you, it's going to be me. So I had to be still. And he began to give me what I needed, you know. Mm-hmm. So at that moment, I was like, uh-uh, I don't, I don't want nothing else. I'm not going to straddle the fence. I'm just going to be all in for God. And that's pretty much how it was. So tell me, what are you guys doing now? I know Rosemary has a book. You're in a play. Mm-hmm. You have a single coming out. So what are you guys doing now? Well, right now, um, the things that you just named, mm-hmm. they, it has us so consumed. <laughs> It's so good. So if I'm not writing, if I'm not recording, um, I'm I'm studying my lines. I'm I'm rehearsing. You know, um, we have a baby. You know, family. You know, my my son does music. In fact, the song that you heard, "Waiting," mm-hmm. and even my single that came out on the 18th, he did both of those. He's a self-taught producer. He did both of those songs. Mm-hmm. So we're here cultivating his gift. He has a studio and. Um, those things that you just named pretty much keeps us busy. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then we just released uh, a video for yes. women, um that mm-hmm. we're uh, really pushing and promoting right now. And just wanting to share Absolutely. the message of that video with the world. Um, and so um, in the background of things, you know, we're pushing that. And then we're working on our next single mm-hmm. um, yes. that will be released in September. Yes. Hmm. So if anyone wanted to get in contact with you guys, find out more about your music and everything that you're doing, how would they get in contact with you? The number one way would be uh, my email. Uh, it's sngbooking3 at gmail.com. Is that correct, Denisha? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like it's, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the letter S, the letter N, G, and then booking. Okay. Uh, three. Yeah, three at gmail.com. That's the number one way besides me giving you Denisha's cell number. No, okay, no. What? Or I'm sure you'd be getting tons of calls. <laughs> our social media, definitely. You can find some of the, you know, what we're doing on social media. Uh, Instagram is Shekinah and yeah. Glory. Facebook is Shekinah and Glory. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Rosemary, as far as her book, it's, it's just Rosemary, right? Uh-huh. Yep. And then from... My music is just Benicia, Benicia, B-O-N-I-E-C-H-I on Facebook or Instagram. And our Instagram is just Shekinah in Glory. You know, if you put it all lowercase, all together, you find us there. Okay, well, guys, if you didn't get a chance to write it down, I'm putting all this in the show notes. Now, before I let you guys go, what is some advice you would give to someone who's actively looking and searching for God? What would you tell them? Where would you tell them to look? Mm, Rose, you can start. Uh, mm-hmm. um look right where you are um mm-hmm. I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't even say you know 
initially go to church. You know, church is a good place, especially if it's a church that maybe your family go to, you know, a familiar place or a place that, you know, maybe has stood out to you as a safe place. That is excellent. But God is everywhere. And so, and God is not just found in church, but he's right there where you are. Um, I have... I have seen God meet me everywhere, yeah, <laughs> everywhere. Uh, in my bathroom praying, in my home praying, sitting on the side of the road in my car crying, whatever it was, God was there, wherever I was at. And so I would start off saying, look where, right where you are, have a conversation with God. Um, yeah, absolutely. Once you have that conversation with him right where you are, it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't, you don't, you don't have, you don't have to be rich. You know, you don't have to have anything special. You don't even have to own a Bible. Just talk to him, mm -hmm. talk to the most yeah. high and tell him your heart and that you are interested in knowing who he is because God already has loved you first. He has already chosen you first. He created you. He knew you before the world was even carved out. He right. has a purpose and plan for your life and all of his plans for you, they're for good and not evil. And so you can have a conversation wherever. There's no place too low and there's no place too high that God right. cannot speak back to you. And so that's what I would say is talk to him and speak to him right where you are. And adding to that, I would say um, a lot of people, we, we feel like we have to be a certain way first. I, when I'm done, when I kick this habit, then I'll, I'll come to church. Or when I kick this habit, I'll talk to God. God wants you just the way that you are. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we, we try to reach this perfection before we give our lives or before we even take that initial step that Rosemary said. But the thing is, you'll never be able to take that initial step without him. So right where you are, talk to him. And, and God wants us to be just so real. Be genuine. Say what's on your heart for real. You don't have to have this large vocabulary. You don't have to... Uh, know all the accolades, all the words to say, the churchy words, you know, the cliche is, you know, the stuff that we do, but God just wants your heart. He wants your heart. In fact, he said, I'm drawn to the brokenhearted. Mm -hmm. he, he said, I want the ones that's contrite in spirit. I want them, you know? So if, if that's you, God is looking for you. He's looking for you. But I will say, follow it with finding not just a, a you need to go to a church that's full of the word a church mm -hmm. that's full of the unadulterated word of God and surround yourself with people that love God. Surround yourself with people that want God the way that you want him, you know, yes, because it's so well. easy to fall off. Yeah, it's easy to fall off when, you know, we, we want God because I've been there. I would have a desire to go to church or I have a desire to read my word, but my home girl didn't just stop by and want me to turn up. She want me to drink. So it's, it's easy to fall back. But my thing is definitely, like Rose said, talk to God, be genuine, Go, come to him the way that you are and get somewhere where you're surrounding yourself with pillars of strength, people that love God, people that, that can pour into you, that can talk to you. Mm -hmm. That Absolutely. is awesome advice. Awesome advice. Guys, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure talking to you and I enjoyed having you here on Finding God. What an amazing interview. My favorite part of the interview was when Rosemary talked about how God wants us to be real with him and to have a real conversation with him. So many times we think about prayer and when we think about prayer, we think we have to come to God in a certain way. 
or we have to talk to him in a certain way, but that's not true. God wants us to talk to him from our heart. God wants us. He wants us to come to him in our mess. He wants us to come to him in our brokenness and our sadness. God wants us to come to him just as we are, and he will meet us at the point of our need. I also like how Benicia talks about how God healed her even when she was not doing what she was supposed to be doing at the time because it shows us that God's love for us is unconditional. He will bless us regardless of where we are in our relationship with him at that time. One of my favorite songs is a song called Reckless Love, and it talks about how there is no shadow God won't light up, no mountain God won't climb up to come after us. It even says there's no wall that God won't kick down, no lie that he won't tear down so that he can come after us. And it just lets us see how big and how great God's love is for us. So this week, I want you to remember that there is nothing that you can ever do to tear you away from God's love. Our artist of the week is none other than this week's guest, Rosemary and Manisha, or Shekinah and Glory. And the song that you're going to listen to is their single, The Waiting. Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, power and glory. Forever. 
podcast i would like to thank you so much for being here with me today and listening to another inspirational story about how people find god if you love the podcast as much as i love spending time with you i encourage you to share this week's episode with a family member or a friend and to make sure that you like and follow the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts i would also love it if you would leave a review for the podcast so that you can let me know how much you are enjoying the show If you would like to get in contact with Rosemary, Benicia, or myself, all of our contact information can be found in the show notes, and all you have to do is click on the links below, and you will definitely be able to get in contact with us. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast, click on the email address in the show notes and let me know that you would like to be a guest, and I will make sure that I get in contact with you and schedule an interview with you. If you would like to submit music to the podcast, click on the email address in the show notes and send me an email letting me know that you would like to submit a song for the show. In this email, send me a picture, a short bio, and an mp3 of the song that you would like to submit. I think that's all for now, so until next week, have an amazing day and a wonderful weekend. Bye-bye. I'm winning, can't tell me-